You guys, welcome to episode 10 of The Smush Room, the podcast that deep dives on the well-known and more importantly not-so-well-known hookups of your favorite reality TV stars. I am your host, Troy McEady, and uh, I just want to start right off the top by letting you know, much like Molly last year, I am suffering from a little bit of an allergy issue today. Like, shit's gotten very real this morning. Um, I've got a bottle of water next to me. I've got a cup of coffee. I have some, like, lozenges in my pockets. So I'm doing my best, but my best may not be my best, if you know what I'm saying. I did blow my nose before we started to, like, try and avoid dealing with that throughout the episode because I'm definitely, like, not going to edit those sounds out. I uh, I just won't. <laughs> so if I do have to stop and blow my nose, Molly was so respectful to add in those kitty sounds. It was so adorable. But unfortunately, in the smush room, you'll just have to listen to me blow out the extremities. Um, this is my first episode by myself in about a month. This feels very weird. I feel like I'm I'm at home again. I feel very safe. This is my safe place. It became my safe place for a long time. And then I opened it up to other people, and it was awesome and fun. And now I'm retreating back to my shell. Like, I just want to do an episode by myself and, like, talk about these two people. I already know you read the episode description. And I know that half of you may be feeling a little bit weary of how I can possibly talk about these two people for 45 minutes to an hour. Uh, Another portion of you were probably very excited, as I was, when I realized that I wanted to talk about them. Um, but I'm not going to lie. I was also a little bit nervous. I was like, what the hell am I going to say about these people? Like, what, that isn't already out there. Um, also, they're not very deep, deep thinking people. There's not really a whole lot going on with them emotionally, mentally. But they're also at the same time is so much going on with them emotionally. So much bubbling beneath the surface. So it's even more interesting. Um, today, we're going to be talking about Brigitte Nielsen and Flavor Flav. Uh, I think that I'm the only person besides Brigitte that pronounces her name this way, much like Guy Fieri. So that's something that you'll also just have to face. Along with me blowing my nose, I will be uh, pronouncing Brigitte's name in a pompous way. I'm also going to make a very bold statement right now. I think that this may be the most important couple I've talked about so far, honestly. And I know I can be a little bit dramatic. Sometimes a little bit of of a theatrical moment will come out of my mouth. But I'm being serious. I think that this is like, just based on what we gained from this couple dating in comparison to the other couples, this is like a couple that changed not only where pop culture was headed, but like all of reality television, like our entire country changed because of Brigitte Nielsen and Flavor Flav dating. So let's just jump right into this fucking cesspool. So Flavor Flav and Brigitte Nielsen technically dated from 2004 to 2005, and they met while filming the reality show The Surreal Life for VH1. And uh, Flav and (laughs) Flav and Brigitte's relationship spawned more than 15 reality shows for VH1. I mean, like I said, it really changed the network's programming. It changed VH1's entire identity for the next, I don't know, six or seven years. And um, like I said, it really, really, really had a huge impact on where our culture was headed, where our pop culture was headed, where celebrity culture was headed, reality TV, all of it was different after this couple dated. And I know a lot of people have, um, you know, their theories on whether or not this was a real relationship, you know, whether or not they really loved each other, if it was all for the show. And I mean, I definitely think that they were aware of the opportunity that 
had come about just from them dating and the fact that people were so interested. But I really do believe that Flavor Flav and Brigitte Nelson like were totally in love. Like I, I'll get into it, but I think their addiction issues had a lot to do with it. Um, and they were both just like these sort of like outsider sort of like freak show to not to be mean, but like the sort of like freak show people who found a weird like solace in each other. I really do think that they loved each other. Now, up to the point of the surreal life, I think Brigitte was known mostly for being the ex-wife of Sylvester Stallone and for her roles in some really big 80s blockbuster action movies. Uh, Brigitte married Sylvester on December 15th of 1986 at Erwin Winkler's house in Beverly Hills. And this relationship basically made her a household name. And she became known in the 80s as the Amazonian because of her height. And she was also a huge tabloid fixture. She was known to the world as this, like, big, beautiful, like, Danish supermodel who married Sylvester Stallone for his money. Like, she was known as a gold digger. Now, during this time, she also starred in Rocky IV. She was in Red Sonja and Beverly Hills Cop 2. And she also posed as She-Hulk in the early 1990s for Larry Cohen, who I believe at the time was planning on doing some sort of, like, She-Hulk franchise that never took off. She also admitted to cheating on Sylvester with Arnold Schwarzenegger, which is, like, a whole fucking weird thing that I can't wrap my head around. The fact that, like, there was a love triangle between Brigitte Nielsen, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and Sylvester Stallone. It's, like, too much for me, almost. Um, She also cheated on him with director Tony Scott when they were filming Beverly Hills Cop 2. And he admitted to cheating on her with his secretary at the time, Kelly Sanger. So, like, as I say once per episode, it's all just one big circle jerk, you guys. Like, get in line. Nobody's special. Brigitte and Sylvester divorced 19 months into their marriage. And as a result, she said that she was blacklisted in Hollywood and that Hollywood chose him over her, which, like, duh. He was, like, the biggest action star in the world, and she was known as a gold digger. On Oprah's Where Are They Now special, she said, When I left Sylvester, all doors closed on me, and I was basically blacklisted. Thank God I had so much work speaking four languages. Danish, German, English, Italian. Being able to work in these other countries helped me survive. I don't know if you guys ever watch Oprah's Where Are They Now, but the episodes always make me laugh so hard because... If there were ever a time that Oprah really was just, like, phoning it in, it would definitely be this show. Because she has, like, the most motley crew of fucking people who appear on it that you know Oprah doesn't give a shit about. Oprah does not not care what Brigitte Nielsen is doing in 2016. And I love that she's trying to make us believe that there would ever be... That there's a world where that is a possibility, that Oprah wants to know what Brigitte Nielsen is up to after having done shows with Flavor Flav on vh1 like i love it she basically picks names out of a top hat and just like throws them at her producer's feet so after the divorce brigitte was basically forced to take her career elsewhere she moved back to europe she did a ton of b-list action movies and hosting gigs and that was basically what she did to survive up until the early 2000s when she found reality tv Since their divorce, Sylvester said that he barely remembers being married to Brigitte and that he hadn't really thought much about her until he saw her on Celebrity Rehab with Dr. Drew in 2008 for her problems with alcoholism. He told Zimbo.com that, uh, he said, I thought I was watching an old home movie. I sat on the sofa with Jennifer, my wife, and of course, she paused it and looked at me and said, what were you thinking? I go, look, I wasn't. It was an out-of-body experience. I've concluded that love is a temporary form of insanity, and we should cut each other some slack. Now, I just want you to be fully aware of the fact that my deep dive on Brigitte Nelson led me down some dark holes. I was in some weird fucking places on the internet. 
here's the thing. Brigitte Nielsen was a literal recording artist in Europe during the 80s and 90s. She was a pop star. Lots of live performances, lots of music videos. And I truly think that her music career is like the most underrated thing on the internet. I am obsessed. And I need you to understand something. She has a single with RuPaul called You're No Lady. There is a live performance and I forbid you from continuing to listen to this episode until you go watch it. You and I will not connect, okay? We are on different wavelengths right now because I know you haven't seen it. Nobody's seen it. I don't even think Brigitte Nilsson or RuPaul know that this performance exists. But I'm telling you, you have got to YouTube. It's called You're No Lady. RuPaul, she was going at the time, I want to I think her nickname or like her recording artist name was uh, um, Gita. G-I-T-T-A. I, th- I could be wrong about that. But just type in Brigitte Nielsen, RuPaul, you're no lady. You will not regret it. Now, look, I know that I don't need to, like, explain who Flavor Flav was to you before reality TV. Like, you're not an idiot, and I know that. But I'll just do I'll give a little bit of a, a, a shallow reminder for context, if that's okay. So, before The Surreal Life, Flav was obviously known for being in the group Public Enemy. He was the world's first hype man. And from 1987 to 1999, Public Enemy released a double platinum album, It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back, and the critically acclaimed single Fight the Power, which was featured in Spike Lee's film Do the Right Thing. Now, one of the things I learned about Flav when I was reading about his life and, like, just who he is as a person uh, that I found really interesting was that when he was little, he was known as, like, a musical child prodigy, and he literally taught himself how to play 15 instruments as a child. 15 instruments, that's insane, including uh, piano, guitar, saxophone, bass. It also said, by the way, that he played the triangle, which made me laugh really hard. Um, (laughs) But it's also just proof that you can't judge a person by the fact that they look like a scary scarecrow or a Babadook. Flav is a musical prodigy. Who would have ever known? I mean, obviously, it's Flavor Flav. He's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but as a hype man, not as like a Stevie Wonder-level child-fucking-music prodigy. He's like Mozart. In the 90s, Flav was also arrested a number of times. He spent some time going in and out of rehabs. In 1991, he was arrested and pled guilty to assaulting his girlfriend, Karen Ross. He served 30 days in jail and lost custody of their children. In 1993, he was charged with attempted murder for shooting at his neighbor. He spent 90 days in jail, and that same year... Whoa... That same year, he was charged with domestic violence and a cocaine and marijuana possession. And then uh, Flav's first intervention was held by his family in 1993. He checked himself into the Betty Ford Center for Addiction to Crack. And in 1997, he agreed to re-enter rehab after falling off the wagon because his dad had recently passed away from diabetes. And I guess he had promised his dad before he passed away that he would try and get sober. Um, I believe Flav is still in and out of rehab. I believe he, uh, I mean, he's been getting arrested pretty regularly since the nineties. He just got arrested a couple of years ago for, uh, driving drunk to his mom's funeral and like speeding or something. He had like a possession charge. So not a lot has changed in Flavor Flav's life, but, uh, it's good to see he's on brand. Now, the idea for The Surreal Life actually came about because of a Lipton tea commercial that aired sometime in 2001. So, basically, the theme of the commercial is it's it's Mr. T, Mary Lou Retton, George Hamilton, and Lonnie Anderson. They're all living in a house together and making, like, a pseudo-family dinner. 
And this inspired the creators of the show. So they basically met with their agents. They pitched the idea with the show titled The Surreal World and obviously later changed it so that they wouldn't get sued by MTV. I actually read that Flav had originally turned down the offer to do the show. He said he felt it was for celebrities whose fame was behind them. And he was later convinced by his longtime friend MC Hammer, who was just known for giving really incredible career advice, to do the show. Uh, he said that before living in the house, like he was living on a friend's couch. He was scalping baseball tickets for money. He was heavily addicted to drugs. He had lost custody of his children. He had just gotten out of jail. Like, he was in a really fucking dark, low point. And the producers actually made him promise to stay sober in order to do the show. I guess he had moved out to L.A. He was sleeping on some guy's couch. The producers found out he was in L.A., and that's why they reached out to him. Um, And it's funny because, like, within the first... I don't know, maybe two or three minutes of him on the show when he pulls up to the house. He literally looks into the camera and goes, yo, your boy sober. Like it's literally, (laughs) it's the first thing he says when he pulls up. The Surreal Life premiered in January of 2003 on the WB and was later moved to VH1 during its third season, which, I mean, as we know now, proved to be one of the most important decisions, not only in reality TV culture, but in pop culture in general. Like, one of the most important decisions in the last 10, 12, however long ago this was, 10 years. Damn, that math is not hard. That was a sad moment. Um, was them deciding to move to VH1 because otherwise we would not have had the last 10 years of VH1 programming. So in a nutshell, for those of you who don't know, I know that you all do. But again, it's just like for context, I just have to do it. Like I'm telling a story here. In a nutshell, the show revolves around 78 D-list celebrities that coexist in the Hollywood Hills mansion. It's actually Glenn Campbell's mansion, to be exact, the rhinestone cowboy. Uh, They live there for two weeks, and they perform these random tasks and challenges. And the challenges were usually fame-themed and existed for the sole purpose of literally just embarrassing these people and, like, trolling them. Uh, Most of the people on the show were in really low points in their careers and also dealing with some serious substance abuse issues. Like, this shit was no joke. And one of the things that I remember the most about this show is just how hammered everybody was all the time. Like, morning, noon, and night, everybody was so high and so drunk. And not in, like, a fun way. It was in, like, a a gross, like, we're all addicts and there's nobody here to stop us kind of thing. <clears throat> I specifically remember, like, Vern Troyer, who, in season four, like, he famously slept rode his hover around around the house naked in the middle of the night and, like ran it into a wall and peed in a plant uh, and had no recollection of it the next day. Everybody thought it was so funny. Um, I remember China the wrestler who, as we now know, you know, she died last year of a drug overdose. Like she had so many manic episodes on that show where she would like stay up for two or three days in a row and she'd be really fucking high in the middle of the night and passing out in random parts of the house, like talking to herself punching walls and it was just like fodder like they put like a laugh track behind it it was insane literally within the first 10 minutes of the first episode of season three Brigitte is hammered she's swimming in the pool with all of her clothes on she's just like walking through the pool in heels um she's walking around topless like she's passing out in different parts of the house like passing out on like 
the couch and passing out on the floor, passing out during dinner. And it's almost like the producers fed into each one of these people's very specific demon in a way that made for good TV. It wasn't just like, oh, here's a bunch of alcohol for you guys. It was like, hey, hon, what's your addiction? You like crack? Here you go. Go swim. You know what I mean? It was very weird. And like I said earlier, this was the first official season three. The one that Flav and Brigitte starred on was the first official VH1 season. And again, is extremely important to VH1's history because otherwise we wouldn't have had any of those uh, spinoffs. Could you imagine not knowing who Tiffany Pollard is? Can you imagine that world? So the cast for season three included Charo, uh, Dave Coulier from Full House, uh, Flav, obviously, Jordan Knight from New Kids on the Block, Brigitte, and a personal favorite, Ryan Starr of the first season of American Idol, was obsessed with her. And I only realized very recently that she could absolutely not fucking sing at all. Like, she was, at best, you would be, at best, you would consider her tone deaf. And that's being, like, polite. That's, like, a polite way of trying to tell a person that you cannot fucking sing to save your life. Like, she was horrifying. The producers of this show managed to find a very specific type of D-lister, which is my personal favorite type. They're the ones who don't really know their D-list. Like, they have no idea that they're not as famous as they've always been. And there's a very specific twinkle in their eye that sort of glimmers when they talk about their glory days. It's actually very sad. But none of these people have any idea that they're not, like, superstars. <laughs> like, I love it. Like, Ryan Starr, I have to explain this to you. So, in one of the episodes, one of their requirements, because they have these challenges every week, and... And one of the episodes, one of like the task is to record a single. Like they have to put a song together. And um Ryan Starr has this like emotional breakdown because she will only sing rock and roll and she refuses to do anything that doesn't speak to her soul. And the only thing that is true and authentic and not poser of her is to sing rock music. And uh mind you, like she just was just on American Idol, like singing Last Dance. So she has this, like, complete breakdown where she's, like, hysterically crying and, like, convulsing in a bathroom because they're making her sing a song that fits into, like, an R&B genre. It's like Ryan Starr. Who in the actual fuck do you think you are? Like, that's the kind of delusion that I like to tune into. You know what I mean? I love delusional D-listers. And like I said, this was obviously a group of people who had, they all had their own issues. Um, But I'm here specifically to talk about Flav and Brigitte. I... We'll probably be cherry picking people from these these seasons because now I can't stop watching. I found an illegal streaming website that offers them that I will not be saying the name of, but uh, I'm in a good place right now as far as my uh, catalog of the surreal life. But we obviously know, like I said, Brigitte has a history with alcohol. Um, she admits to being drunk in literally every scene of this show, and she blames it on being European. So it's like she presents her alcoholism in this way that she was never in her life ever led to believe that it was a problem. Like, I really believe that she thinks that Europeans do things like this. Like, they will get so drunk at, like, 11 in the morning that they swim in a full outfit, including heels, and then just, like, walk around the house topless for 12 straight hours. Like, that's just being European. But with Flav, it's a little different because from what I've picked up on, especially watching... So I watched The Surreal Life, and then I watched their season of Strange Love, which obviously we'll get to. 
Um, and I watched a couple episodes of Flavor of Love, which I didn't really need to because that one is a little bit more fresh in my mind. But the thing that I picked up about Flav is that he hides behind this facade of being this like fun-loving, silly, goofy, life-of-the-party hype man. But he has this really, really dark, violent side to him that was way more apparent on this show than it was on like Flavor of Love. And I'm guessing that's obviously because VH1 felt a need to protect him. Um, even dating back to them saying like, you know, you need to be sober to be on this show, which like, did they say the same thing to China? And like, did these people remain sober when they got on the show? I think not. But, uh, you know, like I said, there was a need to protect Flav when he had his own show. But during these times, like you could kind of see everything And this. He was fucking violent like Flav was there was this sort of like unspoken thing I think amongst the cast of this season where like you didn't want to piss off Flav because he was fucking psychotic um there was one episode where they had like a house meeting because he they have like a puppy that lives in that house it's the surreal life dog and they're supposed to take care of it and he got like violent with the dog um he obviously I mean he slapped Brigitte like he it's and it gets worse, like, especially we're going to get to Strange Love here in a second. I cannot believe I'm sitting in a fucking closet talking about Flavor Flav like this. Like, it just hit me how dark my life is right now. So, as you know, reality shows have a shelf life of about seven minutes after they've been gone for a while, right? Like, when they leave the air, we very quickly forget. So, it's easy to forget the fact that with the surreal life... This was a really, really, really important show for VH1 at that time. It was the highest rated show on VH1 up to that point ever. It was extremely successful. So when they came up with the idea to do Strange Love, it was really, really, really important that this show worked because if it didn't, it could derail this amazing celebrity thing that they were sort of coming up with at the time. And mind you, this was only season three. This show went on for three more seasons and obviously had 10 years of spinoffs. So like they knew that they were on to something. It was also a little bit tricky because people didn't believe that Brigitte and Flav were in a real relationship. Like most people thought that this was fake. I have a quote here from Mark Cronin, the producer of Strange Love. He said, Brian Graydon, the, pr the programming chief of MTV Networks and VH1's parent company, had asked me if the show would be scripted when the idea came up for them to have their own show. And he said, the producers see Flav and Brigitte when the cameras aren't around, and we can tell you, this shit is real. So, like, again, I believe that these two people really did love each other. I think that they were in an actual relationship, but they were just aware of the fact that them dating made people feel a certain kind of way and they I mean it definitely pushed them to continue dating but I don't think that there was any fakeness to the fact that they were actually attracted to each other if that makes sense I have another quote here from Dave Coulier I'm really fucking scraping the bottom of the barrel right now this is just I'm like this is sad you're you're witnessing my rock bottom I should be in this real life house Dave Coulier said uh <laughs> They called me from the hotel room the day after the show ended, obviously feeling no pain. He said, by now, however, their relationship has become a cartoon of itself, at which point I don't think it's believable. So, you know, <laughs> we were still not really sure if Brigitte and Flav were in love with each other. The country was aflame. And, um, you know, it's extremely obvious 13 years later that this show was scripted. I mean, of course, it's ridiculous. I can't believe that there was ever a time that people were giving exclusives on if they thought the show was real or not. Um, it just makes me laugh that we were so naive in the early days of reality TV 
that we would debate things like this. And I definitely believe that these two were, like I said, attracted to each other. Like, they obviously saw opportunity in being with each other, but they were, like, feeling each other. Like, Brigitte was feeling Flav and vice versa. Flav was also working on his first solo album, and he had planned on reuniting with Public Enemy. So when that news came out, a lot of people were like, okay, so now we definitely don't think this is real. It's all going to be a lead up to him, like, releasing a fucking album or something, which it was. So, in a nutshell, the premise for Strange Love revolves around Flav surprising Brigitte in Italy, where she lives with her the then 26-year-old fiancé, Mattia. And the season leads up to whether she'll leave her fiancé to be with Flav, or she'll stay in Europe and get married to Flav. Um, which, by the way, obviously she didn't end up with Flav, and she's actually still married. She's still with Mattia. Like... This 26-year-old kid that was on the show, she's been with him for that long, which is amazing to me. In my realization, in watching the full season of Strange Love, yes, I watched, for you, an entire season of Brigitte Nielsen and Flavor Flav's reality show, Strange Love. I did that for you, so don't ever say I don't do anything for you, because I watched, again, I'm going to repeat it, because I deserve to be able to repeat that. I watched an entire season of Strange Love with Brigitte and Flav just to have this conversation with you. And what I realized when I was watching is that this show is so much less about whether they're really dating or if they're really together, or if the show is fake or if it's scripted, and way more about the fact that these two people have extreme issues with addiction that sort of latched themselves to each other in that way and they were feeding into each other's worst demons. Like, this show, I am not kidding you, is on some fucking Whitney and Bobby, like, being Bobby Brown, and a Nicole Smith show level shit. I cannot believe these two people are still alive. I'm not kidding. Like, the addiction in this show, the dark shit that happens, it is insane. If you can find a way... You guys, I hate to cut you off, but at this point, I think you know the drill. You gotta be a Patreon member to hear the remainder of this episode. So, go to patreon.com slash ebpsychos. At that point, you will uh, be asked to donate, and then when you donate at this level, you'll get this podcast, you'll get the remainder of all the episodes every single week. You'll get Liz Bentley's Feathers in My Hair, which is the Teen Mom podcast. Um, You'll get me and Molly's uh, Brittany and Kevin Chaotic special. You'll get all the stuff that Molly does exclusively through Patreon. It's well worth it. And also, if you're not a member of our Facebook group, go to mollyandthepsychos.com. It'll take you straight to it. And uh, all we do all day and all night is talk about reality TV. It's super fun. So, like I said, patreon.com slash ebpsychos and mollyandthepsychos.com. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.